to the Forgecast. My name is Sam Towns. And I'm Alex Norton. Before we get to today's episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. Today's Forgecast is brought to you by the wonderful Rob at Weber Abrasive. So the next time you need abrasives or grinder belts for your workshop, give a visit to webers.net.au to stock up. Welcome back, Big Fudge. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> good to be back uh it's been a while but yes it's the good fudgery to be back. guy returns caca <laughs> <laughs> is that the noise that the fudgery guys make i suppose it is now yeah that's it that's Eagle the next screen. t-shirt i'm just gonna have just that quote in lowercase below the photo i uh, yeah <laughs> caca <laughs> <laughs> what have you been up to this week, Alex? Uh, mill practice. Mm. <laughs> I did yeah, weeks, of of that. weeks of study on, on using them, uh, far more than I probably needed, but um, putting it into practice is very different to reading it in a book or watching YouTube videos. So I've uh, been dialing in the skill set and getting pretty good results, so I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, and already putting it to work on a new triplet set of my um, liner lock design, which I'm calling the Raptor, because I really like mm. it. And I've templated it up uh, so that I can make more of them in future. And um, yeah, um, using slitting discs to get nice liner lock um, cutouts done, nice and like stupidly clean, which is really yeah. nice. Um, it's that. a lot better than an abrasive disc on a Fordham. <laughs> <laughs> the the peak of accuracy i don't know what oh you're talking yeah about. absolutely um and uh yeah I, I experimented with a fuller in one i've never put a fuller in a um pocket knife before so mm. um it, it's got a cool sort of modern tactical sort of look to it but um mm. yeah i think it came out pretty good um so they're, they're going along one of them is a going to be a fancy one made with some of uh koi baker's mokumai steel which um is just it's a Dam- damascus core with a jacket of solid mokimagane you cannot get more extra than that <laughs> that's so pretty extra it's right up my alley <laughs> um i haven't uh, I, i'm just begging myself to do the etch i'm like no alex don't do the etch don't fully finish the knife because you've got to do all the handle fit up and everything and it's going to get scuffed to shit you got to you have to do it all over again so I'm forcing myself to wait, and I really want to do the edge on that steel. <laughs> I've never done anything with it before, <laughs> so this is my literally my first time using it. I'm just dying to give it a go. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm planning out my next high-end build because Tusk is done and dusted and, and sold and, and in the person's collection now. Um, so the, the, a new high-end build needs to start. Um and I've been um, playing around with some top secret prototypes, Sam. Top secret, mm. uh, which mm, top top secret. I actually nobody knows about this uh, except my wife. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even know about this. No, this is this is actually. Um, I I want to remember the fuss that I made about your buoy competition. Yeah, and I said to everybody, I made the statement at the beginning. 
I'm going for gold on this one. (laughs) You're going to win. And I'm going to do it so well that there's going to be no question that it was me who won. Mm -hmm. I'm making that call again for the 48-hour dagger challenge. Mm. I have a prototype of something that you ain't never seen before. Something new. (laughs) Something that's going to make even Neil's maybe cigarette drop out of his mouth. He's not going to know what hit him. I know you can't actually win the 48-hour challenge, but still, I'm going to try. The, the fact that I'm trying this at all is redonkulous. The fact that I'm trying to pull it off in a 48-hour period is going to be even more redonkulous. But yeah, I'm, I'm making the I'm making the statement now. Uh, the prototype <laughs> the prototype looks very promising, and I think I'm going to be able to do it. Cool. So, yes, mark my words, Sam. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to it already <laughs> um but yeah it's, it's uh, i've been playing around with some prototypes of that and it took a little bit of r&d to see whether or not it would even be feasible uh, and it turns out it is so something that i don't believe has been done before which is not something you hear very often in knife making <laughs> probably has been done before but hey i've never seen it so mm. Uh, my song of the week this week is actually, um, you know, every so often somebody writes a brilliant song, like really, really good, but they themselves do not have the chops to actually give it due justice. Mm-hmm. And so somebody comes along later and does a cover of it and the cover is what really sort of sets that song up. Um Every so often this happens, and it's always a controversial thing to say that because everyone always likes to point out, oh, the original's better and all that sort of thing. But in this case, it's it's really the cover was better, and it's by the band Placebo, okay. um, and they did a cover of the Pixies song, uh, Where Is My Mind, mm. which is a great song. Like mm. ob- Objectively, the Pixies version is a great song, but the um, Placebo cover puts an entirely new spin on it, a whole new vibe, and it's just bonkers good. I think I know the one you're talking about, yeah. Just the energy that it gives off is is something different. It's something else. So uh, I had to go on the list. I'm trying to do a... um, I've talked before about the... I've got playlists that are different vibes. Yep. Um, And I'm trying to build a relaxing playlist... I realized mm-hmm. that I haven't got, like, I've got an Enya playlist. Yes, I like Enya. Um, <laughs> but, like, come on, guys. The Forgecast playlist, what what made you think I wouldn't? But um, I, I realized I don't have, I've even got, like, an angry playlist. You know when you just, you, you're really freaking angry and you need to vent that? I've got an angry mm-hmm. playlist, but I don't have a relaxation playlist. And so mm-hmm. I've been finding a lot of songs that, you know, are really good sort of just zone out wind down release the, the bad energies and just relax sort of music and yeah placebo's cover of where is my mind very high on that list cool yeah so what about you big fudge what have you been up to <laughs> yeah, not this week oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well uh yes i have i had to take some time away as uh, everyone will know um what to, to sort out oh no surprise <laughs> it's almost like i i like you, you didn't miss me because there were all these amazing guests and stuff that you know one or uh, two were, cool people stepped up yeah no it was great i actually went and listened to all those episodes which was which was fun um 
it's it's always fun when I'm the like when I'm one of the listeners <laughs> because <laughs> I wasn't part of the episode. So um, no, it was really good to hear from uh, Kyle and uh, Francesco and and um, Lachlan, Francois, for, for whatever. <laughs> Fucking! <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't call him that during the episode. <laughs> uh, in in the in the link I sent him, it was actually um, the Forgecast with Francois Mucci. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the poor guy! Honestly. <laughs> but yeah, um, so <clears throat> yes, in the in the period that I was away, if if anyone was aware that I was away, I. Um, yeah, had to move. I've uh, moved to a new house, new location, not too far away from my old house, but um, just it took a lot of time to set that all up and and get everything moved in. And I think know. it's all a ruse. The listeners can't see what I'm seeing on the webcam, <laughs> but the room he's in looks suspiciously similar to his old room. <laughs> it is. Well, I mean, it's the same wall color because it was painted by the same person out of the same t- <laughs> tank because, you know, the same person owns both buildings. Yeah. Um, and I have, I seem to have a, a, a certain kind of aesthetic when it comes to setting up my room. So. <laughs> It does look very similar, but um, yes. So no, I'm in. I'm in a new place. Um, I have done a couple of Twitch streams from here, um, and can will do some more in the future. Um, but yeah, so that meant that I couldn't really do anything other than move at the time because moving house, as everyone knows, is a massive pain in the ass. Um, but I also had a lot of other stuff on top of that. There was a reason for me moving, and. Um, I, I lost a friend in that period as well, uh, about a week after I got uh, asked to leave. So there's been a lot uh, going on in the background, but I have managed to finally make a step back into the workshop in this past week and a half or so, uh, and I've actually started making some progress on some jobs. I'm Some progress? On. You've been smashing it out. <laughs> well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, got to start somewhere. Um, and one of the one of the horrible downfalls of, of taking time away from your job is that you don't get holiday pay mm-hmm. when you work for yourself. So I, you know, like suddenly there was a vast need for activity. Um, so yeah, I got a couple of hammers made. Um, there's still two up on my Etsy store as, as we upload this episode. Um, but I also got to work on the Viking sword that I've been working on. I made a blade before, but I wasn't happy with it, so I started again. I uh, got that finish forged out. Uh, now I'm just waiting for belts in order to get to grinding on that one. Um, I've also been working on another hammer. It's a Japanese-style dog's head that I decided I was going to engrave with a sleeping dragon on it. Yeah, I just saw um, that on your Twitch stream. That's looking great. Yeah, well, you know, I kind of had the idea. It was it was sort of inspired by some of the work that I'd seen from like Ilya Alexeyev from uh, That Works, uh, formerly mm-hmm. Man at Arms, who has like a lot of dragon stuff on his uh, dog's head hammers. Uh, but I didn't really want to copy him, or I didn't want to like take too much from his design. And I really had the great idea of um, having like the cave off on one side. And then having the dragon outside the cave. And so I'm on the side of the hammer. I'm going to be engraving what looks like the entrance of a cave. And I'm going to inlay some Nordic gold and sterling silver in the inside the cave. So it looks like a pile, like a treasure hoard. That's very cool. Um, and then, yeah, I'll have the sleeping dragon nestled on top of the, the hammer. 
uh, someone in my to the Switch Twitch stream today asked me if I'm naming the dragon, and I'm like, no, I'm going to leave that up to the new owner. Whenever someone buys it, they can name the dragon. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, unimaginative cool. like Draco, probably something like that. <laughs> Bob, Keith, <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, Bruce, <laughs> yeah. G'day, Bruce's and Sheila's. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so um, yeah, that's been that. I'm also working on a, a bunch of knives that I've had sitting around waiting to be finished for ages. Uh, one of the Is first this things from I, the pile that you were yeah, talking about the, for a while? from the pile. Actually, funnily enough, one of the other things that I had was um, the first day I went back to the forge, I decided to forge something because I was like, I can't, I'm going mental. I haven't swung a hammer in over a week. So I forged out a knife uh, and then like handled it and stuff like that. And it's currently waiting to be finally hand sanded and stuff like that um it was the fastest i've made a knife in forever because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> i was like i need, i just need to make a knife i need to remind myself of what i do um but yeah no it's been really good um i'm still you know kind of adjusting to everything and you know it's taking time to to adjust to my new life um i still haven't managed to film any content for the youtube channel i eventually will get around to it um, but I've been uploading on Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that for people to keep track of me. Um, I've been very fortunate and I would like to say a huge thank you to everyone who reached out to me and, uh, asked me how I was and let me know that you guys were still hanging out to hear me back on the Forgecast. It was really nice to hear from you guys, uh, and know that I wasn't forgotten despite sick my of me. time away. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, bring Sam back, please. <laughs> He won't shut uh, up about his uh, middle. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. Um, although, like that being said, like when, when obviously, if I go away and stuff like that, if you have questions to ask, just ask me because I don't want to flood Alex with questions all the time. <laughs> Poor guy's got enough questions to answer as it is. Like, who are you, and why are you in my shower? <laughs> <laughs> Not the kitchen sink, you know, just taking up my spot. <laughs> like, hey, this is Sam's spot. What are you doing it? <laughs> um, yeah, so oh, lots of stuff going on at the moment. I'm trying to pump out as much as I can at the moment because, again, got to pay the bills somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, my song of the week, uh, and I'm making a liar out of Alex here, unfortunately, just a little bit, by adding another song by the same artist. <laughs> uh, and this is the third song from this artist that I have added <laughs> to the playlist. But um, I was, you know, like listening to my usual playlists on YouTube and just getting recommended songs. And everyone knows that I am a massive Longest Johns fan. And Really? I had no idea that they'd recorded this song like over a month ago. And so I was like, why, why have I not heard this before? Uh, especially because it's very poignant to us. Uh, it's called the hammer and anvil song. No. And it's literally about a blacksmith. (laughs) Um, it's actually a really good song. And I was like, I listened to it and I was like, this can't be the longest (laughs) Jones, but yeah, no, it is actually. Um, and it is a, uh, it's a really good song. It tells a whole story. It's great. And I know you like songs that tell stories. Yeah, I do. I do indeed. Uh, and yeah, so it was, it was kind of a confluence of all of my favorite things. It was the longest Johns. It was a blacksmithing song, which is very rare, unfortunately. And it was, uh, it told a story, which I, 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 you know, I love. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Brilliant. There you go. 
Well, we have one listener email, and then we can get yeah. into some inspirations, which I've been building up a list of inspirations. I, <laughs> I have not guys. been able to <laughs> have not been able to talk about these amazing people I've been seeing. So literally the day the day that I messaged Alex going, I think I can come back this week. He was like, finally, I can have an inspiration. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I've saved the one I'm most excited about for, for, for today. <laughs> Excellent. That's what I like. However, our, our email of the week comes from Steve Ellis. Um, it's uh, Red Snake Forge, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he says, hello again from South Texas. Quick question on 316 stainless steel. Is this a good material for knife fittings? I have access to a pretty ready supply of it, and I know it's too soft for blades, but though I uh, thought it might be good for guards, bolsters, and the like. Love the show and hope everything is getting better for Sam. Thanks, Steve. Um, Thanks, Steve. It is. <laughs> He's back. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's excellent. It's a it's a non-monocytic stainless, so you're yep. right. It's not good for blades, but it is uh, plentiful. It's readily available. You find it freaking everywhere. Uh, it's cheap, and it's easy to work, despite the fact that it does work harden much faster than carbon steel if you're used to using carbon steel for guards and things. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just be careful of that because it will kill taps. It will kill uh, drill bits if you don't use proper oils when you're drilling it and things. Yeah, lubricate. Um, yeah, lube. Always lube up. And don't let rule. it get hot because it crystallizes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, it's a bit of a wild material in that regard, but it does it make it takes a lovely polish and it's uh, mm. absolutely excellent for for knife fittings. I don't know if you have anything to add, Sam, so it took over. Yeah, yeah I mean like the the two uh, new engraving hammers that I made um, actually are made out of 316 stainless uh, bolts. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like 316, 304, um, 416, 410 stainless, all of the non-Martensitic stainlesses, perfect uh, guard stock material. Yeah. The, the big thing is that if you're going to use them for bolsters and stuff and you're going to pin them, make sure you use 316 stainless rod for your pins mm. uh, because the variation in stainless qualities won't necessarily uh look different when apart but once you ping them together and try and polish it you're going to see a significant difference in the in the luster that they come to so Mm -hmm. you'll be able to see those pins where you might not want to yeah yeah actually um i was talking about this with uh kyle royer we're talking about jack conan he made stainless damascus and it was Mm. actually um 316 and 304 stainless i believe Mm -hmm. um i I actually thought it was 316 and 416 that he'd used but it wasn't it was i think 316 and 304 and the etch contrast between the two of them was astoundingly clear yeah uh, it was quite an amazing look, to be honest, and it would make a wonderful, um, like if you had a VG10 core or, or even like mm. a, a 14C28N core uh, with a jacket made of those two, you'd get a wonderful looking stainless Damascus blade with the Sanmai mm. sort of core happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, sure. yeah def- definitely very usable, which um, brings us, I suppose, into inspiration of the week. Should we hold off on me and do you, or would you like me to go first? Oh, you could do me anytime, but um, <laughs> let's let's do you first. <laughs> I've been waiting a while to talk about uh, a young lady called Elena Willis. Uh, she goes by Thistlefire Designs on Instagram. Ooh. 
and she does um she's, she's just got this attention to the little details in her projects every single project the little like um she'll do a twist but the twist will be ridiculously even the entire time and she will mm-hmm. polish the high points of the twist something that a lot of people forget to do um she will get that sort of visual texture on her work and you can you can see and it, it, it takes somebody who's been doing this a while to see the attention that's there the mm-hmm. you know the the it, it you can tell there is a, a standard that she holds herself to and it's something that you know sam and i get exposed to a lot of people's work and we follow so many people that you get to see a lot of people that are just sort of churning and burning projects and not stopping and taking stock and seeing how could I do just a couple of little extra things to make this project pop, Mm. you know, just because sometimes that's all it is. Sometimes it's just those little, you know, taking the time to polish the high spots or, or um, hit the corners with a high grid of sandpaper just to get that little bit of shine, a little bit of glint Um, playing with the texture of the steel, leaving um, forge scale in the low spots and bringing it up to a higher polish, like a scotch bright finish on the high spots and things like that. They're little things that don't take extra time to do. Um, but Elena at Thistlefire um, Designs, she, on every single project without fail, you can see that she won't let it go out the door until all of those little things that she could do have been done. And it just leads to this incredible consistency of detail. And it makes me, I I get the distinct impression when I see them that photos and videos aren't quite doing justice to the way the light runs over things as you, if you were holding it in your hand and moving it, um, moving it around in your hands, you would see sort of ribbons of light run across those little polished faces and things. It's, It's just lovely work. And it's the little details. I mean, we, we celebrate a lot of makers who do these really big, extravagant, elegant projects that, you know, like Carl Roy had put in 200 hours of work <laughs> into one knife and things like that. And there's definitely something to be said about people who do that. But every project can have that little bit extra time to yeah. get that little extra pop. And, and it doesn't re- take much. It doesn't take much, but it, it, it takes a lot to be that consistent and mm. to, to have that much pride. You should be able to look at a person's work and see how much pride they have in it uh, yeah. or, or how much pride was in the making of it. And, um, yeah, Elena's work is, is definitely that. And can, I just, can I just say the consistency of her twists – Irritates it's me. mind it's <laughs> mind-bogglingly good, isn't it? I, I hate it. <laughs> it's like, so I'm good. Just, I'm looking at it just going, well, okay, god damn it. <laughs> yeah, it makes you want to just go and throw away every twist you've ever done. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Seriously, yeah. oh my god, amazing. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes just... You know, having those those polished lines, it's like when I do a stonewash blade, I won't leave it just stonewashed. I'll go to every corner of the blade, every every sort of mm-hmm. 90 degree angle, and I will take 400 grit sandpaper and I will buff that corner. 
and it adds these little rivulets of light. You don't see it in photos, but when you hold it and move it, you see the glint of light run across those those corners. And yeah, yeah. you can you can see she does it on everything from from the penanula brooches that she does to to barbecue forks to rings and everything. And she does great work with copper bowled spoons where the handle is forged and the bowl is copper. Um, all lovely and antiqued and things and it's it's just an attention to detail you don't see as often as as you probably should so no yeah no it's amazing definitely worth a look so yeah big shout out to elena give her a follow if you don't already that's thistle underscore fire underscore designs on instagram yeah how about you big fudge so my inspiration is not a blacksmith (laughs) or a bladesmith (gasps) Or a maker of all. (laughs) Uh, And they're not alive anymore. Um, So I, you know, I'm a massive history buff, as many people know. And um, if they don't, well, you know, hi, I'm a massive history buff. (laughs) Um, And one of my, like, favorite things is, you know, kind of badasses of history, that kind of stuff. Really, people who kind of set themselves apart from uh, from the rest of the crowd by doing something amazing that you no one could be expected to do in their right mind um and my recent you know kind of uh, events that have shaped my life have left me feeling somewhat awash at sea just kind of like you know not nailed down to anything like i've lost everything and i need to kind of crawl my way back up out of the mire and I had to. Rem- I reminded myself of uh, the basically the the epitome of coming back from the brink of nothing um, with very little, and um, that is one of my favorite all time mountain men, which is Hugh Glass. All right. Um, now, those of you who don't know the the story of Hugh Glass, it was actually turned into a the story was turned into a movie with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio called The Revenant. Yeah, uh, I hate that movie, by the way. Yes, um, <laughs> because it's so inaccurate. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, no. Um, basically, Hugh Glass was left uh, de- basically half dead uh, after being mauled by a bear um, in the middle of the the uh, woods in the prairies in the Rockies of uh, America during winter his- too, wasn't it? Uh, yes, yeah, just on the lead up to winter in you know really bad straits like he had half of his head was cut open his stomach was cut open you know he was all kinds of messed up and uh, one of his one of the the troop that was supposed to be with him until he died decided to leave without waiting for him to actually pass and took his rifle his treasured rifle <laughs> uh and that started a whole story of him actually dragging himself across hundreds of kilometers of barren wasteland uh, feeding himself off whatever he could get and, you know, like basically having to crawl most of it because he was so injured, um, all in order to get back to this guy who had taken his rifle so that he could get the rifle back. Look, shooters um, in the audience may not understand the connection of man gets what he's done. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Like, but the, the thing for me wasn't necessarily the fact that he was, you know, being driven by this want to get the rifle back, but... The, the sheer fact that he was left with nothing but a straight razor and a like a flint like a flint and steel and a straight razor out in the middle of nowhere half dead and managed to drag himself back from that to then you know get back to where he was originally 
it puts a lot of things in perspective. <laughs> you know, you kind of mm-hmm. sit there thinking, I've got a hard time. Oh, no, no, it could be much worse. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because you got to remember during this period of time, um, most of the native tribes in that area were incredibly hostile to mm-hmm. white men. So if he had been uncovered by the native tribes, he probably would have been killed. So not only did he have to worry about the elements trying to kill him and the bears and the snakes and all of the other shit that were going around, he also had to worry about the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a good chance that the the white men that he would have run into would potentially be pretty nasty as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. he was kind of out of luck in all those odds and still somehow managed to prevail just purely by sheer force of will. Um, I think my best... Co- the best coverage of his uh, was actually The Revenant, the book that was written, um, that then was turned into a movie. And for some reason, they like the book is actually based relatively in reality because it was made from accounts from the people of the time, whereas the movie was just then kind of extrapolated into this Hollywood bullcrap. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it, yeah. they tried to make it one of those right, really art housey sort of films that are hard to follow because they've tried to make it more artsy than entertaining. Yeah, and they tried to make it more impactful by having like more shootouts and stuff. And then they had the whole storyline with the princess, which never happened. And they had they had him have a son, which never happened. Like they had to give him a reason to want to get back at these people. And apparently wanting his gun back wasn't enough. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, no, you need to give him a son that gets murdered. But it was okay uh, for Kay in Men in Black 2. I mean... Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Motivations, come on. (laughs) But yeah, no. um, So yeah, The Revenant, the book, is actually a really good book. And uh, if you're interested in more Hugh Glass stuff, then I definitely highly suggest that, uh, that as a read. But yeah, so he inspired me in just purely in reminding me that things could be a hell of a lot worse and people have come back from it stronger and, you know, more badass than before. Mm. So Sam's inspiration of the week is Leonardo DiCaprio. Fuck no. (laughs) (laughs) I would have let Jack go the first five seconds on that. On that door. <laughs> there was room enough on that. <laughs> she was right to let him freeze. Uh, anyway. <laughs> All right. So with uh, emails and inspiration out of the way, that brings us into technique of the week. Technique of the week. week. And technique of the week is brought to you thanks to Nordic Edge. So whether you're gearing up for an epic knife build or leatherworking project or shopping for a new power hammer or fly press, fuck it, why not? But be sure to visit nordicedge.com.au. They have everything, and I mean everything you could possibly need. It is brilliant. I love the look of those. Just ask it. They'll probably get it in. (laughs) Those power hammers look sweet. They really do. And Alex is like, wouldn't it? What do you think of those? I'm like, yeah, that'd be nice. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, oh, you know, like maybe we should get that for a sponsorship. Let's cash in ten years of sponsorship. <laughs> I was like, if, if I had a place to put one, and Bjorn was willing to come to the table on that, sure. See, Bjorn knows he's safe because I don't have any power in my forge. So. <laughs> and he knows that he's safe with me because I live in the middle of friggin' suburbia, and I'm still not sure if I get to keep my shed for much longer. <laughs> and I've already got a fly press, so. Yeah. 
That looks yeah, cool, yeah. by the way. It does. I haven't made dies for it yet. I haven't had time, but um, man. Come I'm, on, get that whip out, man. Come on. I'm hanging out for that. So technique of the week is fly press technique. No, it's not. It's um, it's punch and <laughs> holes, which fly presses are pretty good for, to be honest. Yeah, John Rigoni would agree. They're kind of built for it, to be honest. But um, mm-hmm. no, punching holes is a very, very time-honored tradition in blacksmithing because uh, drills are expensive, or were back in the day. Um, you'd be surprised how old drills are. Mm. Um, but punching holes is f- much faster and you lose very little steel when you punch a hole. It's also more reliable in more ca- in many cases, especially when you're talking about like dealing with cheap crap bits. Um, um, you know, especially if you're trying to drill through high carbon steel or anything like that, it's much easier to punch it. <laughs> yeah. And if you use a um, a slitting punch instead of a like a, a you know sort of normal punch that you would use like an eye punch, round, round you punch, yeah. um, you don't lose any steel. Almost any, yeah. Well, almost any, yeah. You just in, incredible. Um, you, you get a nice bolster around the the area. Like if you're making tongs, for example, you don't have to add any material to the boss to sort of beef it up because you want a beefy boss if you're making tongs. Mm. But if you punch the hole, it actually swells out that boss area for you. Yeah. So um, the other good thing is you can make your own uh, hole punches in all different sizes very, very easily uh, with very little. Uh, you just get uh, coil spring. Coil spring's perfect for punches. Yeah, and I mean, even if you're like if you're only trying to punch a single hole, you can do it with mild steel. Yeah, it just won't last for very long. Yeah, you, and it depends you probably on the size of the hole. Yeah, you probably only get one hole out of it. But um, yeah, no, like you, I've punched hundreds of holes over the years, you know, and I, I avoid it as much as I can because drilling is just it's easier. It's easier. It's like it's easier because everything's cold and you don't have to worry about things bouncing around. You don't have to hold it between your legs and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, now I have a fly press. Yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, um fly presses can be set up to punch holes ridiculously easily. And actually um in John Rigoni's Rigoni Ironworks video on making a bottle opener, he uses his fly press to slot punch all of his bottle openers. Insanely easy. Mm. Um, I mean, what's yours? Uh, number six? Uh, no, number four. So right. it's a little four ton, but it'll yeah, still gotcha. do it. Yeah. Um, well, with you swinging on, I'm sure it is a number six. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty close. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, like the, the thing is like you're only punching 10 mil holes. You're not trying to punch 20 mil because obviously the, you know, the larger the surface area, the more force you need. Yeah, that's right. And technically, but, um, I could do could do it under Preston if I really wanted to, but Preston doesn't have a foot pedal. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> right. I'm amazed you still haven't gotten that. To be honest, eh, he runs all right without it. Yeah, true, true. If you're doing everything right, you should have a free hand. Yeah. I mean, if you were doing it on a fly press, you you would need a free hand anyway. So. Yes. Yeah, because you got to drive it. It's just the throw on Preston's a lot smaller than a fly press. <laughs> well, no, the throw on Preston's a lot. A lot no, I larger. mean the uh, the lever, the activating lever. lever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, a lot smaller on Preston, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a lot easier. And a lot easier. It's funny how much effort you have to put into a fly press to make it work properly. Yeah. Um, but the good thing is about a fly press, as I as I pointed out to Broden recently, is you can control the force. Yes. 
on a press, it's with the exception of some of the more advanced presses, it's usually on or off. Yeah, I mean, like Preston's you can feather good. touch, but yeah, um, Preston Preston has a multi stage uh, accelerator, so you can move it really slow or you can move it really fast. It's all pressing mm-hmm. at twenty tons, but you can judge the speed. Yeah, um, which is really useful for fine finesse stuff. Not, mm. not that Preston's really built for finesse because there's enough slop in that head that you'd never get anything that's <laughs> really accurate. But yeah, uh, but yeah, for like for hole punching, majority of the time, I'm just going to use my blacksmith's third hand on the anvil face. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and like it doesn't take much twisting of Sam's arm to get him to flop his third hand out onto the anvil face. <laughs> I, there's not so much flopping. <laughs> it's prehensile. That's it. Holds his work for him. <laughs> but you can also use stuff like holdfasts or uh, the chain method, you know, the weighted yeah. chain, uh, to hold it in place if you want two free hands in order to do things and you don't want to grab it with the between your legs, which is yeah. what the blacksmith's third hand is. Yeah. <laughs> and it's why blacksmith aprons have a slit up the middle. Yeah. Yeah, so that you can put stuff between your legs. Um, just be very careful when you're doing that to make sure that the piece actually has contact with the anvil because if it's slightly pivoted off the anvil on the near edge, then when you hit it, it will fly straight up into some very sensitive areas. And yes. I, I say that from experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, there's two main types of uh, punch sort of geometry. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to go through them, Sam? Uh, yep, so like... Uh, we just talking in general terms of like the slot yeah, the, punch or the a round slot punch. punch or a round punch. Yeah, yeah. So and how, most, how they would go about making them? Yeah, most punches are are flat bottomed, um, at least when they start out. Um, and a round punch can be relatively easily made by, as Alex said, using coil spring. And all you have to do is make a taper. So you make a square taper first, and then round that taper out, uh, and then obviously you just size the the end of the taper to whatever you're actually trying to punch um you can get a little more accurate by like lathe turning a punch if you really want to but for blacksmith's purposes normally we punch or we make the punch slightly under the size that we want the final hole so if you want like a 10 mil hole then you make a six mil punch because with that taper you can actually drift the hole out a little bit with the punch body itself uh for a slot punch Normally, you're, you've got a, a slot that is the width of the tip of your drip, drift. So if you've got a 10mm a drift with a 2mm like end on a taper, then you want a minimum of a 2mm wide slot so that you can fit the drift in there. Uh, and then the length depends on what kind of width of hole you're doing. Like if you're doing a 10mm hole, you're going to want a 12.5mm uh, slot. Um, yeah. So that when you push, when it pushes that material out sideways, as it shrinks in length, it's not going to, you know, get caught and snag. And if you're doing this quite regularly, you can make um, sort of all-in-one pass-through tools, where you've got your punch at one end and it tapers up to be a drift that is the diameter of the whole the final hole, um, and then it tapers back down small again, so it'll actually drop out the other side of the hole. Um, yep. It's good good for small holes, like if you're doing uh, a lot of tongs, for example, uh, and you want to use 10 mil rivet, uh, 3 eighths rivet, you can make a, a punch and drift that is passed through and just drive it all the way through and out the other side. 
yeah. uh, com- combined with the right bolster plate, obviously, um, which we've talked about in past episodes. Um, you can actually get quite efficient with it. And you see some of like the world champion blacksmiths and that using them. Mm. Um, and geez, it's, they can just get some speed on them. Uh, Brent Bailey's quite good at doing this sort of thing too. Yeah. <clears throat> the other thing to remember is when you're punching a hole, there are two, two basic methods. You can either punch all the way from one side, like 90% and then flip it over, find the mark and then punch it back. Um, or you can punch all the way through from one side. Normally punching all the way through from one side, you need the correct corresponding hole on the opposite side so that you don't get a lot of drag through because the punch will, instead of shearing out, will just keep pushing a a cone of material out since the other side of your... uh, At the best case scenario, it'll leave a raggy edge, which can cause problems. But um, most of the time, people hot rasp over the, uh, the mangled face as part of the process and uh, this is sort of advanced stuff where you're trying to do production line and be as quick as possible uh most of the time you'll break it into multiple stages um yeah that's it yeah so don't be afraid to take multiple heats when you're when you're getting started like you'll see some guys will punch a tong blank in like a single heat um i mean most of the tongs that i do i do it in a single heat but that's from practice don't be afraid to take multiple heats and take your time yeah, and cool your punch between hits. Like, yes. hit hit it once, take the punch out, and look. Then put it back in, hit it again, take it out, and look. In that period that you're taking it out to look, it doesn't really matter if you know that the thing's going straight. That little bit of moment away from the hot steel is going to let, let your punch cool down. I like uh, to lay it in the face my anvil while I'm doing it. It helps yeah. sort of suck a bit of heat out of it. And I mean, like, if, if you start seeing it get hot, or you start seeing it mushroom over, stop quench the, the tool and then regrind the tool before you keep going because all that's going to happen is you end up with a trapped punch and that sucks. Oh, yeah. No amount of uh, charcoal dust is going to help you at that point. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, very valuable skill to learn uh, to be able to do, even if it's not one that you're planning on using. Like Sam and I said, we usually uh, preferentially drill our holes these days. Um, we ain't got time for punching, but... If we are forced to, power goes out or something and, and we need to get a hole in something, we know how to do it. We can. And we yeah. recommend you do the same thing. Actually, um, the my the biggest one that I've had to use punching for was uh, those scrolling tongs that I made for you, Alex. The cinnamon and, tongs? Yeah. And the same set that I made for myself out of the same material, which was 5160. Um, I could not drill through that stuff at all. Yeah. So I had to punch the hole. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just it just kept forming carbides in it, and I could not get it to anneal properly, so I had to punch them. That's the thing. Like if you uh, if you have ever come up against a piece of steel, and everybody has, you work with metal long enough, eventually you will find a grade of steel that is just the drill bit killer. For me, it's this stuff, mysterious stuff that I've had tested that uh, a very very old lumber mill blade was made out of. Uh, just kills drill bits. Sam, it was a 5160 that he made the scrolling tongs out of. Eventually, you'll find a, a type of steel that does it for you and your brand of drill bit that you're using. But I'll tell you what, getting that thing bright orange hot and driving a punch <laughs> through it, I don't care what steel it is. It's going through. <laughs> when, you need, when you need a hole in something and nothing else works, a punch will work. That's it. Get it hot, hit it hard. Yes. So speaking of heat, 
let's get into our topic of the week because probably going to draw some heat for it. It's a controversial topic. The heat is on. <laughs> but trust us, we're going to give we're going to give the the full scope of this, and that is buying Chinese. It's a topic oh, no. that comes up quite a lot in the uh, the online communities. Yeah, especially I mean, like obviously, especially here in Australia, but worldwide in the Western world, uh, it become it has become synonymous with, with cheap uh, crap. Yeah, exactly. It's going to break on you. Yeah. Um, much but. like buying, much like buying Japanese back in the like post World War Two like fifties and sixties. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Every country that has like is an industrial country that produces things has a a range of qualities. I mean, here in mm. Australia, you go into any Australiana tourist shop and it's filled with just cheap crap. Mm-hmm. You know, n- nobody needs a kangaroo scrotum wallet. It's just, they're they're made terribly, but tourists buy them up. But the thing is, China as a country has a higher level of manufacturing output than any other country. And thus, the section of it that is actually cheap, dodgy crap is going to be larger. Mm -hmm. And so there is a certain amount of truth to it. However... (laughs) <laughs> there is also a hell of a lot of vital stuff that comes out of there that we use every day. And in fact, when people get on their phone to join a Facebook discussion and disparage Chinese-made products, they're doing it on a Chinese-made device. Yeah, or your PC or, you know. <laughs> You're probably You're listening that. to this show on a Chinese-made <laughs> device. <gasps> Shock. Horror. I know. Good heavens. But um, it's it's one of those things that to uh, that there's there's some people seem to have this inherent prejudice that's inbuilt into them, and prejudice usually comes from you know how you're raised and and the environment that you come up in. That if they see something that is made in China, they instantly assume it's going to be just garbage. And I mean that being said, a lot of it has to do with like quality of life in the location, right? So. In China, the there is a, uh, a significant decrease in the amount of like cost of living and all that kind of stuff that is associated with the working class. Mm. And so for the longest period, and even now to a certain extent, uh, a lot of Chinese workers could be paid next to nothing for their work. Oh, yeah. Um, and so therefore it was cheaper to, to produce stuff in China, which is why so much is produced in China, is because it was it's cheap. And when you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. Um, <laughs> like So basically it was cheap labor, but it was also cheap output. The, the big thing is that we're seeing a significant shift in that in modern day in that a lot of companies are refusing to work with uh, Chinese manufacturing companies that do pay peanuts um, and are instead going for higher quality stuff at the cost of you know paying their workers a livable wage. Oh, my dear Lord, that, how terrible be still my beating heart um but the the problem as i said before like the problem was the same in japan in post-world war ii japan um their economy had crashed because they just lost a war and they'd had two of their major cities be bombed out of existence um and so they had to mass produce stuff on a huge scale that they'd never done before and so therefore their workers got paid very little and they mass produced lots lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff in order to keep the economy running 
And so therefore the name Made in Japan became synonymous with cheap crap Mm. for a long time because that was what it was. It was them trying to build their economy back up after a recession. And too quickly. Uh, And now nowadays, anything Made in Japan is normally seen as being like bougie like the the real top of the line stuff is made in japan mm-hmm. for <laughs> a long like time a long time um japanese made vehicles in particular were some of the best made in the world oh man i mean toyota is still one of the best companies in the world <laughs> it is one of the best but pre pre-2004 particularly they had uh, yeah. like hondas uh that were made in the 90s for example were made out of um, all Jap- all japanese made parts and yeah. assembled Unkillable. and manufactured in Japan and just bulletproof. Sometimes yeah. literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, but this is the thing is that China is going through that right now. Like, yes, 20 years ago, most of the stuff that was coming out of China that wasn't being made by the like top factories in China was relatively cheap crap. Mm. Right, because they were mass producing stuff in order to bolster their economy, which was failing in the face of the global financial crisis. But now we're seeing a move into like high value production stuff and access to Western companies to the higher manufacturing costs that would be normally only left to the really big tech giants like Apple, Microsoft, and that kind of thing. Nowadays, smaller companies like Anyang, for instance, Mm. Um, can produce incredibly, you know, robust, robust. and reliable, um, reliable machinery for less than you would pay a man like it to be manufactured in your home country. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, it's reliable stuff. And the thing is, is that like as much as people would like to disparage the fact that these kinds of things were made in China, they are bomb proof. Um, I mean, our anvils, uh, the Beamish Anvil is manufactured in Anyang, China. Hmm. And they're probably and one of the best anvils I've ever swung a hammer at. <laughs> and it's because despite what where they're made and, and what people's prejudices might be towards that, they are still held to an unrelenting quality control standard. Uh, yeah. And that is that end result, that quality control standard, is often um, controlled outside of China. Yeah. or Chinese interests. So the production has to keep up with that quality control standard or the end customer does not buy the product. Mm. And, and a, lot, a lot of the time, for example, um, from coming at it from an electrical engineering standpoint, which is one of my backgrounds, so I, I feel like I can speak on this, um, the controller in devices that um, picks up Bluetooth signals, which is in various different makes and models of headphone uh, in cars, stereos, and spe- uh, portable Bluetooth speakers and things like that. The actual circuitry that runs that is uh, has a controller board, which is one of probably really three different controller boards. Mm. It doesn't matter what the brand is from Sony all the way down to, you know, no-name brands that you buy at a dollar store. They are all going to use the same setup for the Bluetooth reception. All three of them are still made in China. Well, yeah, and like part of that will be because the factories are there, like yeah. because they because they were built back in the the nineties, the eighties and nineties when the cheap crap was being built in China. Those factories and those those industrial areas were built then, and mm. so they've been long established. And so all they've had to do is refit those with better machinery, and bang, you've got a really high performance production facility 
without having to rebuild the entire fucking area. <laughs> yeah. And so while they're not necessarily uh, faultless when it comes to their reputation, uh, mm. to immediately assume something is crap and to dump on somebody because they bought something that is produced in China is most of the time you're doing it on a device that's made in China and you're connecting that device to servers that were made in China and you are uh, doing it while wearing clothes that were made in China and on your weekend you go out into the forge and forge on steel that was produced in China using tools that were made in China and so you really need to sort of look at this objectively and put aside the prejudices sometimes some products are terrible but some Australian products are terrible some American products are terrible but if you were to look at them on a uh, scale of industry level mm-hmm. and and uh, look at it based, uh, you know, in a in a uh, you know scale things down from the size of what China's industry is to another country, you'd probably find this pretty on par. Yeah, and like hasn't before, always been the case, but lately. before people ju- jump down our throats and start saying, "Ah, oh, but they're stealing the jobs from the locals." Um, you know, like I get that a lot when we start talking about this kind of thing is that it's like, oh, it should be produced here in Australia. We should never have let it go overseas. The fact, the reason it went overseas is because it was too expensive to produce here. Yeah. Right. To pay the, the, the wage of a factory worker here in Australia or over in the U S would have meant that the product would have been three times more expensive, Mm. which meant that it was it was financially unviable to make those things in country. I'll give and you so an example. If, mm-hmm. Grapes. Yes. Most of Australia's grapes, almost all of Australia's grapes that we produce. I'm talking just eating grapes, not wine grapes, but just, you know, your green and red jobbies that you just, yep. you know, buy a bag full at the supermarket. The ones that we grow here get sent to China to be sold in China and we import Chinese-grown grapes and sell them to Australians because it ends up being cheaper because they tried selling Australian grapes to Australians and they wouldn't pay the prices. Yep. And so the entire grape industry almost collapsed. Mm-hmm. But that's like, yeah, it's true of everything. Like I saw uh, a bunch of ambles being made here in Australia and they were much lower quality than the Anyang examples, but being charged the same price. Mm. And so there was no significant reason to buy that anvil over the Anyang anvil other than the fact that it was made in Australia. And I wasn't going to pay for a lower quality just to have it made in my country. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when it comes down to it, we want to have something that's reliable. And that's that's where this argument always comes down to when you, you find people that are prejudiced towards things that are made in China. They say it's not as reliable as something that's Australian made or American made. But to be honest, if it were Australian made or American made, the factories here that were making it would be making it with Chinese made tools and equipment. Yeah. And like, even, even if they weren't, even if everything was built from the ground up, they'd be charging 10 times what you're paying right now. Because it was built. From <laughs> exactly. Because it was made here. And, and if, they, it, if they need support for those tools, they've got to get it from here and there's a smaller population. So there's longer wait times and blah, 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 blah. And, and you've got to think about who's going to man those factories. Who's going to be the factory workers? You know, what are they going to accept as their living wages? Yeah. Um, but like, and at the end one, of- one, 
at at uh, to play devil's advocate here, uh, mm-hmm. there is actually in the term uh, world of you know behavioral economics, there is a thing called the Human Development Index, and it's basically um, uh, an index that sums up things like life expectancy, education, per capita income, that sort of thing. It's all rolled into one number. China ranks very very low on mm-hmm. that scale. I mean, abysmally low. Yes. And so it is kind of a sad thing that we can expect to get things cheaper from China because of this is taking advantage of that. Yeah. And that is not the fault of the people of China. No. That is the fault of the industries that take advantage of that. Yeah. And frankly, they would here too if they could get away with it. <laughs> Hell that's yes, what, they would. That's what those industries do. That's what people at the top of those industries do. That being said, the the way that we can encourage away from that, like a lot of people say, just shop local instead. That's not necessarily the answer. What the answer should be is buy from Chinese companies that pride themselves on paying living wages to their workers. Mm. Do your research. Encourage yeah. encourage the standards of the industry over in China to become better. Now, like you can make an argument that buying from China means that you're import you're uh, incentivizing the Chinese government, whatever. If anything, the Chinese government would be incentivized to not do anything stupid on the world market if it was maintaining all of its income from international purchases. If they decided to then do something really dumb that caused embargoes and stuff like that, then suddenly their income dries up. So that argument doesn't really hold water. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And I mean, you've got to... it's, It's the same with any sort of prejudice. If you find yourself being or having a prejudice towards something that you feel very strongly about, you should ask yourself why. Yeah. Why and do I mean, you feel that way? And this this kind of stuff is very cyclical as well. And as I mentioned before, Japan was like this. Then it was Taiwan China. Taiwan was like this. Yeah, and now then it was Taiwan and China, and now it's Pakistan and India. Right, like pretty much every Facebook group you go on these days will point out Pakistani Damascus to you mm. from a million miles away. And everyone knows that Pakistani Damascus is made from car doors and, you know, like washing machine tops. <laughs> like we, we all we like to ra- we all like to rag on it. And a lot more stuff is getting made in Pakistan and India now. Because again, the increase in um, like the increase of the cost of living in China and stuff like that has meant that industries have had to move to a place that has lower socioeconomic yeah, problems. Yeah, and Pakistan, India, uh, even like to a smaller chance like Tibet and places like that as well are being industrialized because they can afford to pay the people much less. And it's really us voting with our wallets that. Um, make it so that these uh, industries that don't care about the conditions of their workers have nowhere to hide. Yeah. Eventually they'll run out of places they can go to get stuff made crap and cheap. If we just shop smart and I don't care where something's made. I just care if it works or not. And I've bought a lot of Chinese stuff over the years and it's all worked. It's like Ryobi gets ragged on so much. (laughs) A lot. And we've had this discussion on the show before. And yeah, if you were working on a job site and relying on those tools six days a week for 12 hours a day, Ryobi would not handle that. But they're not designed for that. So why would you put them through that? For a home shop, my Ryobi, I'm still using 13 years later. It's crazy. I haven't even changed the batteries. (laughs) 
<laughs> Still using the same batteries. <laughs> uh, so it's it's whenever really when it comes down to it, if you're having finding yourself having such a strong prejudicial response to something, ask yourself why, and don't just repeat the same diatribe that everybody else is saying to you. Because if I could just replace you with anyone else in your little club, then I'm not really talking to you, am I? Um, I, I would like to point out, and I just, just researched this to make sure that I was cor- uh, stating it cor- correctly, but even the hot, top brands of hand tools out there, Bosch, Milwaukee, DeWalt, most of those companies have infrastructure in China that is making a lot of their stuff. Like mm-hmm. Milwaukee has ma- manufacturing plants in the US and in Europe, but also in China. Well, so- that's the thing. When you see <laughs> made in Australia or made in USA branded on something, it doesn't necessarily mean it's made with Australian parts. No, or most, US of the time parts. It's, most of the time it's assembled in said country <laughs> yeah. rather than made there. Yeah. But yeah, like even even like the top brands of hand tools that you might be using, power tools that you might be using, massive amounts of those parts may be made in China. If it wasn't for the cheap production that they have there, you would not have the computer that you're using, you would not have the phone that you're using, you would not have half the tools in your shop. So it's something to think about. Yeah, and we're not advocating the idea that everything made in China is great. No, like we God, we no. all know we, <laughs> we all know we all know that like there's a lot of stuff that's made in China and various places around the world that's crap, like mm-hmm. absolute crap. And and the cheaper something gets, the more likely to be crap it is, yeah. and that's because you're paying less for the person making it. Yeah. So like yeah, it doesn't matter if it comes from China as long as you're paying like an amount that is commensurate with the quality of the piece, and normally that tends to lend itself to a higher cost of living for the person that's making it itself. Also, it kind of, you could, I know it's reducio ad absurdum, but it sort of, it's a funny thought experiment to think that, you know, all Chinese people are clearly using Chinese products that they buy there. You'd think the whole country would be falling apart by now. Wheels would be falling off cars. Radios would be exploding. I mean, there's, there's, (laughs) there's some people that would argue that that is happening, but... It's, but it's, that's less to do with really the actual the manu- No, it's it's nothing to do with the manufacturer of stuff. It's everything to do with their government. Like their government sucks. Like yeah. straight up, the Chinese government can go to hell. Yeah, but but the Chinese people themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. They're just no, people. no. And and frankly, um, a old friend of mine, um, he's he's called. Have I told the story of Hans on this show yet? I don't think you have. When I, I know you've first, told me the story. Yeah, when I first moved out of home, uh, I, I rented a place for like, it ended up being like four years I was renting with this Chinese guy. Um, and his name was Xu Chenglong, which is <laughs> like translates to something like Ice Dragon or something. But he, he his English name was Hans. And he was as wide as he was tall. And his mum used to call him Yuan Yuan, which means little circle. <laughs> <laughs> But um, he was, uh, when, when they come across from China, uh, they get to pick like an English name and they've got a list that they have to pick from. And when someone picks from the list, they cross the name off. And he was late <laughs> to that class. And the only names left on the list were Hans or Jacques. And he couldn't pronounce Jacques. So he's called Hans. 
Anyway, he lives in a place called Chidong, which is outside of um, Shanghai, and he's not far from the Shenzhen markets. And if mm-hmm. you've ever seen YouTube videos of the Shenzhen markets, it is a tinkerer's paradise. Quintessential Chinese market. like Oh, yeah. But it's all electronics. Yep. The whole thing is electronics. Like everything that makes up everything is there it's Mm -hmm. just the parts just the individual components but it's just a city-sized market that is just going 24 7 (sighs) yeah (laughs) electronic engineers nightmare yeah yeah and also dream at the same time it'd be like it's like the louvre you know you can't see it in a day (laughs) book a hotel for a couple of weeks (laughs) that's it but on that lovely note we should probably leave everybody. Um, don't forget, guys, we've got the Forgecast competition going, um, and it's not finishing this month. It's going all the way through to the end of April. You get two months for this. And I've been hearing – everyone's being very secretive about what they're building. I'm getting a lot of uh, sort of um, tantalizing hints and things of what people are doing, and I've seen <laughs> some pretty interesting pair-ups of what people who people have paired up with. Mm. Um, special shout out to Steve Sampson, uh, Alien mm-hmm. Monkey Blacksmith. He just sent me a T-shirt and uh, S- sent, he sent me one too. Thanks. And he Thanks, sent N- Nissa the the QMI clippers. Yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. What what I still think must be the only pair of QMI clippers on the planet. Pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> so she's already put them to use. She's she's cast aside her favorite pair of snips that she w- did carry with her crochet gear, and she's been using those. So excellent, she's over the moon with those. But um, yeah, he's teamed up with Jamie at Sausage Man Forge. So I'm keen oh, cool. to see where that's going. Cat Van Forge is is teamed up with someone, but she's not letting on who. So I'm very interested to to find out who that is. So I have my feelings. Yeah. Mm. So people are people are pairing off. Ideas are starting to happen, and I'm hoping to see some whimsy. Yes, I am looking forward to seeing the whimsy as well. Mm. I'm kind of half tempted to message Uri to to see if he'd be interested in getting in on this. He might be, to be honest. I mean, he honestly that would almost thinks of twelve whimsical things before breakfast. That that it would almost be cheating. Just like team up with Uri. (laughs) Maybe that's Cat's partner. Maybe Mm. (laughs) Cat, you're holding out on us. Yes. You see, Kyle might even have a go. Yeah, I heard that. That'd be awesome. I hope he does. Yeah, so do I. Get Niels in on it. Yeah. <laughs> Niels is whimsical in of in and of himself. Oh yeah, Neil Niels is living whimsy. He is whimsy incarnate. <laughs> <laughs> Not wrong. But guys and girls, if you have an email for us, a question that you'd like to ask, send it through to ask.forgecast at gmail.com and make sure to look us up on Facebook and Instagram where we just go by the Forgecast. You can slide into our DMs. Remember, if you do have a question for us, uh, do message the show. Don't uh, message Sam and I individually because we are very busy boys. This show is kind of like a job, so... We like it to is. answer questions. We love to answer your questions, but we like to do it on the clock. Otherwise, we're uh, we're we're flat out, and all, I, I all, always always feel bad when I've missed a heap of things. All angry messages about China will be hastily ignored and laughed at. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll but feel free, like, yeah. feel free to send them. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Why not? 
I haven't blocked anybody in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do it often. <laughs> Alex, Alex, by, for anyone who doesn't know, Alex runs the social media for the Forgecast. So, <laughs> yeah, that's just engage that's just at Sam your own... doing a cop out. It's all Sam. <laughs> engage at your own hazard. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Alex, fuck around and find out not. <laughs> <laughs> not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, dear. guys, um, hope to hear from you um, with your questions. And otherwise, where can they find you, Sam? Stranger well, to the show. They, I know. They've probably, forgo- they've probably forgotten. Yeah, they probably have too. I know I've been gone. It's good to be back though. So, um, yeah, you can find me at Samtown Bladesmith on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Patreon, Redbubble, uh, YouTube, Etsy, Twitch, all and the places. And a new kitchen sink, indeed. I actually have mm. my own now, which is well, weird. Um, <laughs> I can appear in my own kitchen sink now. Um, but anyway, I had a nightmare uh, like that once. <laughs> Where can they find you, Alex? I go by Valhalla Ironworks, and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Patreon, and my new website that I share with my wife, um, mm. which is nissa-valhalla.com. N-I-S-S-E hyphen Valhalla.com. Um, we decided to just em- go go in together because it made more sense than having two websites. Putting the important one first. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm being, you know, being a gentleman. Of course. As always, ladies, ladies. Sam. As always. Of course. Uh, yeah, you are nothing but a gentleman. Nothing but a gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> nothing like a gentleman. <laughs> We'll see you later, guys. Bye-bye.